How you doing, Zach? Doing good, buddy. Can't hear this, but it's Sweet Child of Mine. Ooh. Yeah. Right. My guests, who we'll be introducing here in a second, are bouncing their heads a little bit and probably wondering why the hell I played this song. <laughs> but there's a reason. Uh, in case you're wondering, this was the number one rock song of... Any guesses? Guess? Guests? What year? You can guess. 93. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> 89. 87, you guys. Not... See, I, I played it on purpose because my guests today uh, were extremely relevant. And they were relevant in other years, but in 87 was a very important year for my, one of my guests in particular. And given that we love um, uh, rock and roll on this show, I like to kind of pair up those uh, little tidbits uh, Guns N' Roses, they dominated the world in 87. Uh, Sweet Child of Mine, number one. Um, so, obviously, we're back. Soccer Dad Pod for another episode here. Uh, we're coming off our previous episode with the uh, Lyle. Jeff Lyle from Amsterdam Tavern and Michael Dugan, uh, Amsterdam's number one fan, uh, Liverpool fan in particular. And... Um, the FCC reached out to me, given the uh, profanity from the previous episode. <laughs> um, and so I apologize to all you soccer moms that started to listen to us and were like, what a bunch of losers. Um, today should be much less profanity laden. I'm hoping, maybe, depends. Depends on if we really get into some of our rivalry conversations here. Uh, guest host or carpool co-host of the day today. Zach, you heard him earlier. We're up here at uh, Well Spent Brewing. Um, like to really thank these guys for allowing us to keep showing up, um, not kicking us out. Um, tonight, everybody was uh, gnawing on their tamales. Uh, great sidecar to their beer selection. So if you get a chance, come check it out. And again, I'm going to remind you, come city season, if you're looking for a place that isn't Schlafly Can't Move or Maggio's Can't Get In The Door, uh, walk two blocks further to the west. Simple solution. Beer garden will be open. Um, you'll probably find a lot of parking too. So, uh, well spent brewing. Thank you, JB. I did some market research today. Yeah, I parked at the stadium and walked here. I was wondering why you were going to do that. I did some market research for the pod. And what? Let me guess. Uh, Fourteen minutes. Seventeen. Damn. But that's not bad. There was construction on Jefferson, correct? Where they're, I don't know. It feels like they're leaking or uh, draining a water main. Yeah, no. <laughs> so there was quite a bit more traffic and less yeah, that, uh, that, lights. That water problem that the stadium had, they just bumped that. They down bumped a it west blocks. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, but uh, two turns and you're here. So, uh, not a bad walk at all, and 15 minutes. Okay, and being from, uh, I don't know, the, the county. Did I'm you from Washington, Missouri. So, yeah, yes, further we'll than talking. the county. Franklin think, County. I'm assuming you felt safe. I did feel safe, See, yes. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Mayor Tashar, you're welcome. Yeah, that's two people with dogs walked on the other side of the street to avoid me. So, I guess that's I'm not <laughs> sure like, what that says. But Who's this crazy <laughs> white guy walking by himself down? He's got a, <laughs> a city red hat on. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, you guys. I almost said pink, but then I thought I got, I'd get in trouble. No, it's city red. You gotta just call it that. Um, uh, one more quick tidbit too. You did market research on that. That's great. That's a great tidbit for yep. those that are listening. The other one is um, today is K 
Kevin Costner's birthday. Oh. Yeah. What's oh. your favorite Kevin Costner movie? Uh, probably Bull Durham. Guess number one. What's your favorite? I'd say probably Tin Cup. Ooh, that's oh, good that's way up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say, too. Two, two, yeah. two Tin Cups, one Bull Durham. And you, JB? Mm. Dances Wolves. No. You seem like a dance. Waterworld? Okay. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll jump over to the TV. I think he's great in Yellowstone. Okay. Yeah. Is that fair? Sure. Otherwise, a Bull Durham. Ten Cup's great, but Bull Durham, he was younger and dumber. Yeah. The Field of Dreams people are going to well, yeah, come after you. That's lame. <clears throat> There's no, it's not lame. It is lame. No, the, the, uh, when, when MLB actually built a stadium out there. That was lame. That was really cool. I, and maybe I'm a nerd, but you, I mean, you walked from the stadium here. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I guess we're, uh, yeah. No, I take that back. Well spent, scrape. Park down here, walk as much as you want. Um, well, let's get into it here. Uh, we've, we've run the gamut on, uh, guests. I continue to try and expand, um, our guest profile, uh, from demos to generations to zip codes, to leagues, to you name it. And this is the second, well, no, no, no. Actually, it's the first East Side guest, right? Yes. No. Who? Remind me. You had uh, the Oh, author. Jared Embeck. But he, Embeck. Lives in, he lives in Ohio, though. Oh, well, yeah, he lives in Ohio. But then you had the author. Shane. Shane. He lives in, in Missouri. Oh, he does now? He's, yeah. Okay. And he was really from Carbondale. When I say East Side, I'm not talking about Carbondale or. I think he's from Collinsville, isn't he? No, he went there what for two years maybe. He was he was he was a transplant. He tried to come to Granite. We said no. <laughs> so. <laughs> so today I'm excited because I have one of my uh, longtime good friends um, from the enemy, uh, and and guest number two is also an original enemy. Uh, I was younger though. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to play against him. <laughs> thank God. Um, I have two Collinsville Cayhawks here. Oh boy! I know. Uh, and I did do a little Wikipedia, just like, you know, not on Rick, <laughs> but on my other guest. Um, and the first thing I noticed is it said Caseyville, and I'm like, sweet. Don't give Collinsville any love. You know, it's from Caseyville. You know. Uh, so without further ado, uh, two guests today. Rick Artime, class of 93, uh, Council of Cayhawk, and Mr. Joe Reiniger, class of? 89. 89. Now, I played Guns N' Roses because 86, 87 was a special year for you, right? Yeah. You guys uh, somehow got past us to go on to win. State championship. State championship. Okay, show's <laughs> over. Let's go. <laughs> it took a lot for JB to admit that somebody in Illinois other than Granite City won a state title. Oh, no. I admit it often. N not happily. I'm usually very bitter about it. Well, I, I, I think Collinsville won a couple more while you were in school. Uh, you did, but I, you know, now that I'm not playing, we still have 10. So the billboard is, uh, yeah, see, they're all shaking their head like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, my four years, we won two, they won two. So I've, I've, I've split gut. So, um, but thank you for coming on. 
Um, looking forward to the conversation um, because you you're you're one of, you're one of those names in in the uh, soccer circles here. Um, you know, spe- a little special for me, even though you played in <laughs> at the wrong school. <laughs> but you know, when East Side players you know, move up through the ranks and, and garner the kind of success that you did. That's cool um, because obviously on the west side of the river, things are a little different. You know, the machine is different. Um, it's changing now, as I'm sure we're going to get into, uh, but it's always great to see the East Siders flourish. Um, so quick uh, 101 here. Uh, I know that uh, the two of you, you, you in particular, Joe, you are the director of the Gateway Rush Soccer Club, correct? Correct. And Rick, what's your what's your what's your title over there? Well, I'm a coach, um, but we have a I'm president of of the advisory board for the club. Got it. Yeah. So, Joe gets paid, and you just buy the beers. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. No, well, you know, I, I I've I've been trying, and and Zach can attest to this. Um, Early on, we had people reaching out to me, texting me like, well, this is like a Gallagher love affair, you know, because our kids played played there and our early guests were Gallagher faces. Um, <clears throat> you know, and we've reached out to a number of clubs and you guys are one of the one of the clubs that have replied and said, yeah, let's let's talk, um, because I think it's really important because. You know, for new parents uh, that are listening to the show, well, maybe not after the last episode, but uh, <laughs> moving we'll reel forward. them back in. Yeah, we'll today. reel them back in. Uh, I think it's really important because Saint, the St. Louis soccer scene is so diverse, uh, top to bottom, historically as well. And I think that the club scene right now deserves way more explanation as to what's going on, who are the clubs, how are they operating. So you guys were a perfect fit. You know, because I want I want to I want to get into that first, and then we can dig into some trash talking and old stories. Um, so, Joe, why don't why don't you kick it off a little bit? Let's just do a ten thousand foot view, a little history one hundred and one on uh, the club, kind of you know how you got involved, and you know walk us up to today and where we're at. Yeah. So, first of all, thanks for having us. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I got involved back when I was finishing up my pro career. Uh, I was in Milwaukee, and um, the uh, what used to be Collinsville United uh, had approached me and asked if I wanted to get involved. And long story short, um, that was the year that Collinsville United kind of merged with Metro um, with Dale Shilley, who's you know now the academy director and became Metro United. Um, and some of the teams that were involved with Collinsville United didn't didn't like that path. And so uh, they ended up joining Lou Fuse. And um, some of the guys that were involved were guys I played high school with. And so they, they got me involved. And so I was with Lou Fuse, Illinois. I was their director for about a year and a half. We only had maybe six or eight Illinois teams. And uh, I quickly realized that uh, that might not be the right path for some of our Illinois teams because, like you said, things are things are different on the other side of the river. Yeah. And so I uh, made the decision to kind of go off on my own. And uh, my daughter was young at the time and uh, wanted to make sure she had a good path. And so I, um, I started uh, my own club, uh, Madco Soccer, uh, for Madison County, Illinois. And 
sure. kind of partnered with uh, Jurgen um, up in Belleville and um, was there for a while until Slice said that we were two separate entities and so they wanted us to kind of separate and so we um, uh, ended up kind of separating from them and a lot of the teams that were with me at Lou Fuse stayed uh, and a few years later realized what I realized really quick and so they came back and that's when we changed the name to Gateway uh, and really grew from there. Um, got to 20 teams really quick. Uh, and then six years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to meet with the Missouri Rush guys mm -hmm. and um, gave me an opportunity to join the Rush organization. And so we're uh, finishing up six years now with, with Rush soccer and uh, one of the best moves I think I made for the club. Um, for those that don't know it, Rush soccer is the largest youth soccer organization in the world. There's probably 50,000 kids across the world wearing the same jerseys. Yep. Um, it's um, Yeah, we had uh, Kip Thompson on in an mm -hmm. early episode, and, uh, you know, he started talking about it. We were asking some pretty basic questions, and he started giving us the numbers, and my co-host and I were like, no, 50,000, 50, like, that's insane. Um, but it's – it's they're out of uh, – uh, what state are they originally out of, though? Isn't it like it originated in Colorado? Okay, um, that's right. And then Virginia Rush was the second. I jokingly say it's a franchise. It's not a franchise, but it's kind of similar. Sure. It's similar like that. Um, so it was based out of Colorado for years, and then uh, recently, with our partnership with Capelli, uh, they moved a lot of the headquarters to New York at that time for a couple years. But then last year they made a huge announcement, and so we now have Rush now has a residential academy in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Okay. Um, so it's the old those familiar with the old Club Med. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's yeah, now yeah. called Sandpiper Resort. It's a lot like what IMG was when we were younger. Um, it actually has some guys uh, involved that started IMG, and so they have a residential academy for soccer, volleyball, tennis, and golf. Um, I was down in Florida for Rush Select uh, beginning of December and about 30 of us coaches drove down and, um, and toured the facility. It's, it's amazing. I mean. So, so are they, I mean, it's, are they kind of modeling an IMG type model? Is that where yeah. it's at where they'll be there, you know, year round schooling during the day and then yeah. training, diet, all that other stuff? Everything, everything. It's, okay. uh, it's very impressive. You know, it's, it still is an all inclusive resort. So like we stayed on the resort and there was, I don't know, 18 buildings. Well, two of them or maybe three are for the students. There's like oh, wow. 180 kids between the four sports right now um, in just like a year and a half. What are, what are the other sports that Rush is uh, involved in? Rush isn't involved in any of the other sports. Oh, okay. Uh, it's the name of the, the, the facility is called Altitude Rush. And so they, I honestly don't know the exact relationship, how that is, but that's kind of our headquarters. So like this summer, I know Rick has a group of 2011s that are going down. So Rush has what's called Rush Fest every every summer for the age group that's going from 99 to 11 to 11. Okay. And so that's historically been in Colorado um, for a couple of years during COVID. It actually was here in St. Louis at Missouri Rush's complex. But 
now that we have our own facility uh, in an amazing place, um, it's moving to Altitude Rush. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And so, so then, okay, <clears throat> I guess my question is, are they, is, is the goal to uh, kind of squeeze it into, you know, like an IMG model, but will, will Rush then... If they don't already, will it be uh, MLS Next Level? Is it kind of, will they have teams? Is that where they will be, or will that spread out? Yeah, so there, there's already Rush clubs across the uh, across America that has MLS Next, ECNL. Like, the, there's clubs that are in those top leagues already. I think the goal for Altitude Rush is to um, provide an opportunity, um, like an IMG, to right. more kids to be a residential um, get schooling. Uh, the way they described it in the presentation was they'll they'll get up, go to school for two hours, go train for two hours, go to you know go to lunch. That's the IMG model. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, you know, we got a chance to meet a few of the kids, and you know, I mean, I just can't imagine being 14, 15 years old, living oh, in Florida, <laughs> all you can eat, all you you know, all the foods all there, everything's there. The 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 fields were immaculate. They had two beautiful grass fields. They're putting in two more before Rush Fest this summer. Um, just an amazing, amazing experience for these kids. Okay, so are, I mean, may, maybe you know this or not, but uh, is it in the IMG vein? You know, IMG I believe is like eighty. Grand, um, yeah, I mean, it's a big, big number. Yeah. Is that what Rush will do? Will it be kind of like uh, uh, pay to stay? But then will there be the kind of uh, evaluation process? So are you guys looking at kind of seeking out those one percenters nationally? Yeah. And then financially, if it makes sense, will the families have that option? Is that kind of what it's yeah. going towards? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think right now the level isn't where it will eventually get because it's so new. Sure. Um, but they do, like, they have top-notch coaches down there, living down there, doing all the training. Um, Rush, Rush has connections uh, with, I think it's five different professional clubs across the world. Um, so we have a player pathway to that next level. When you talk about MLS Next, that's right. specifically to MLS. There's you know, second division, third division teams in, in various countries that we have connections um, or partnerships with. I, w I wouldn't say connections. I would say partnerships with that both on the girls and the and the boys side for players to advance to that level. So let's let's pull it back into the uh, Madco, uh, St. Clair Co. worlds then, you know, the the Rush Enterprise over there. How, how many teams do you guys have uh, in the Gateway Org? Uh, 32. 32 teams is yeah. what uh, boy girl ratio? Um, we've always been a stronger girls club, but in the last couple of years, it's kind of starting to flip a little bit. So honestly, I don't. I, I think there's one or two more. It's pretty even, but I think there's one or two more okay. boys teams than girls right now. So uh, trajectory? Are you guys on a growth path path right now? Are you seeing? Because I mean, in that O'Fallon demo, because that's where your fields are. Um, you know, obviously we all grew up over there. We've seen kind of the exodus, uh, where the population trends go. You know, are you seeing consistent growth? What does that look like? Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's obviously our goal. Um, you know, I'm I'm committed to. I've always been committed to trying to put together the best staff possible because I know 
<laughs> you know I'm gonna laugh. Wait a second. You know what I mean? <laughs> Rick, our time. No. Okay, go go on. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you get that dig in. <laughs> no, but you know, it's important for me to provide you know, the right type of training, the right type of environment for the player's development, both on the field and off the field, right? And so putting together the, the best staff possible is, is, is while keeping fees at a reasonable level has always been my goal. And so, you know, the more we can grow, the more I can reinvest in staff and, and continue, to, continue to do that. So it's been pretty steady uh, in Illinois as far as the number of overall teams and between the clubs and stuff like that. We've been pretty steady between... 28 and 35 teams probably for the last seven eight years um we've done a good job of uh keeping a lot of high school age teams where i think some of the other smaller clubs yeah they they tend to fall off um like i mean we've had seven or eight high school girls teams for the last five six years oh that's a lot and that's like for for a club of our size that's unheard of so well then you have to deal with trap year you know, and kids in that, you know, yeah. uh, no man's land. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, so on the uh, uh, on the east side, then, um, y- there's you guys. Uh, there's Gallagher. There's, you know, there, there's kind of the usual suspects. You know, when we were growing up, the, the club environment was way parsed out, you know, th- you know, especially on the east side. I mean, there was like, your club was made up of one team, <laughs> you know, or maybe maybe there was like two or three. Um, how, what's what's the landscape look like right now? Because back back then, and and you know, even in recent history, there was clear hierarchy. Um, what what does it look like right now? How are the teams doing? Uh, the league over there? Because are you guys coming over to Slice? You know, wh- where are you playing? And I'm asking these questions because we have a lot of ironically we do have a lot of parents that listen to this and are like trying to figure out you know what club what am i looking for what should i be looking for so what is what does play look like for your teams at that you know the u11 u12 getting up into the 11 v 11 once you get into the larger leagues where are you playing most most of our teams are still playing here in slice right um we've applied uh to several of the different mid to high level leagues um, with only 32 teams it's hard for some of the higher level leagues we we definitely have the talent in some age groups but most of these leagues require a team in every age group right and so that that limits the ability of us smaller clubs to really get into those higher level leagues so we're um you know we're we're looking at different um, opportunities. There's a there's a group out of Kansas City that's putting together a league uh, with a lot of Omaha teams and Kansas City teams, and so we've got some teams that are getting involved with that. Um, we've looked at Midwest Conference as an option because you can just kind of handpick those top teams. The, the problem in Illinois, honestly, with that type of strategy is. Um, state Cup in Illinois is four hours away, and if you play in Midwest Conference, you have to play in State Cup, which means you probably have three out-of-town weekends for conference league, conference teams and then yeah. possibly two to three more for State Cup, and that's a big ask for, um, for parents to travel and, and stuff yeah. like that. So 
Russia's got some connections. We're, you know, we're talking about uh, potentially NPL. Uh, I think that's a good fit. You know, we play against a lot of those teams here locally that play in those types of leagues. And like I said, for the most part, in most age groups, we, we do well and, and can definitely compete at that level. Um, so it's definitely on our list of things that we're, we're trying to check off and, and make sure that we're giving the, the players an opportunity within our club um, to play at that level. Now, I will say, you know, our sister club, Missouri Rush, so I coach 05 girls, and a couple years ago, we, you know, I, I uh, worked with uh, Jason Weiland, who is their ECNL director, and so we had seven 05 girls. Now, it decimated my team. Yeah. But it was in the best interest of those girls, and so I actually ended up helping coach that team a little bit when I could over the last couple of years. So we do have, they have NPL, they have ECNL on the girls' side. Um, so, you know, we do have a player pathway here locally. It's not the most convenient, um, but we've made it work. Um, well, let's, okay, so <clears throat> in regards to the pathway, specifically getting into the high school age, uh, that, that, that sophomore, junior age in particular, um, how are you guys handling or working with uh, kind of uh, scouting orgs or showcases? You know, have you developed a strategy to kind of attack that? Because, you know, if, if I think you've listened to a few episodes, I'm sure you haven't because you've you got a real job and do stuff. But, um, you know, it's so often we have to address... You know, even in our circles, where other parents talking like this, this jump to the finish line in college is just so front and center. And I think at a way too early age, you know, clearly you guys have to answer to that. What are you guys doing for that age group that it is appropriate to start considering those things? You know, is it just simply Rolodex or what? What's the strategy look like? I mean, I think <clears throat> I think that we still try to get as many of our teams to those regional showcases that we can. So, you know, without having the, the, the regional and national leagues, um, it, you're going to have to go find those events. Um, with a smaller club and where we're located, you know, a lot of our players are going to look to try to play probably college soccer somewhere, you know, within that three, 400 mile radius, right? So a lot of the events we're going to do are going to be in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's a lot in Indianapolis, Chicago, Memphis, Kansas City, um, those areas. Uh, if you have the, if you have the, the players that, that want to go somewhere else, um, Rush Soccer does have something through our college advisory program. Um, and they actually uh, put teams together to go to different showcases around the country. And so if you have a player that says, man, I really want to go play in California, I really want to go play in uh, New York or Florida or whatever, uh, we can contact the um, the college advisory program director. Say, hey, we got a player that you know wants to go to school here, and if you if you're putting any of these select teams or anything like that together for one of those showcases in that area, uh, that player would like to go. Yeah. So again, through the Rush uh, system, there are other options and capabilities that we have. Well, I mean, is it, I mean that's got to be a massive benefit out of the gate because yeah. you know yeah. you know we talk about club sizes and you know 28. 30, 32 teams, that's a good size club. I mean, you, you're going to stay very, very busy with that. But when you have the scalability and the muscle of 50,000 kids. it's. I was just going to add on to what Rick said. That our, our college advisory program, when we first joined, it was, it was okay. 
they've done so much and put so much money into it. The amount of networking that can be done within Rush, not Gateway Rush, not Missouri Rush, but Rush Soccer. Right. There, I, I forgot what the last stat was, but I think there's 80 Rush coaches who also coach at some college or university. Oh, wow. So when you think, I mean, when you think about not just the showcase teams and stuff like that, but if I have a player that wants to go play in Michigan, yeah, right, I can just call Mark Zathy, who's the director of Michigan Rush, and say, hey, Mark, like, what are the schools around there? Maybe he, he and he coaches at a, at a college, but maybe that's not the right fit for this player, but right. he knows all those other coaches. There's not another club in the country that has that kind of reach all no. across the country. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, several years ago before we joined Gallagher, I had started a team at a very small club in Wildwood, Missouri called Wildwood Soccer Club. Yeah. And right after, Super we, creative. yeah, very yeah. creative. I didn't come up with the name. I was the second. We were the first boys team, and um, the year we left, they merged in to Rush with Rush, yeah. and they were Wildwood Rush, and now they're just Rush, yeah. part of the Missouri Rush group. And what I found fascinating, because I did not know much about Rush, although that I think, I think Pulisic played for a Rush team in Pennsylvania. He did uh, claim to fame, but. Prior to that, I didn't know much about the organization, but what I found out was the access to training and the other benefits that you get by joining a rush club versus just a homegrown, you know, guys that want a feeder club for their high school or just hang out. So can you talk a little bit, you've, you've, you've given kind of higher level, you know, college yeah. advisory program and things like that, but talk at the local level, talk at the the parents that are, are, are deciding, okay, do I, do I make the investment in a, a club like Rush? And if so, what does Rush have that separates you guys on the east side with Gateway from yeah. anybody else? Here's your pitch. You got 30 seconds. <laughs> no, Go. no, it doesn't have to be a pitch. I'm just, I, I just think there's a lot more I, to give. Well, yeah, but I mean, realistically, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. In these circles, when, you know, when we do talk about these clubs and we talk about Absolutely. the pros and cons, it's a sales pitch, you know, because it really, you know, and, and what I find really, really funny is 99% of the time, the kids are left out of the discussion, yes. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like who to go, but sorry to interrupt. I just no. wanted to point that out. Yeah. You know, talk, no, talk I, about the, the, the pluses. Yeah. I appreciate the question because, you know, I, I say it all the time like that. The decision to join Rush six years ago, like I said, was the best decision I could have made for the club because again, there's several other clubs of close to our size but what sets us apart is we're part of Rush. Now, what does that mean? Well, it, it means the college advisory program, which we've sure. already touched on. It means that every kid that is in our club, you guys know, you're, you've, you've, you've coached, you've had kids that played. What do parents come up and ask us as coach? Well, what, what can my kid do to get better, <laughs> right? Well, I'm not, I don't have time to, to put together a, a individual training program for everybody. Every player in Rush has the access to a train at home program that is written like every month now has challenges. They can upload videos and see themselves on the national site. So it provides that extra. And that's, you know, my guess is it used, they used to do like a fall one, a winter, a spring, and then a summer. So they had like 30 weeks out of the 52 week year that they had 
some sort of training going on. And when you put that in perspective, as far as paying for like local camps, extra right. training and stuff like that, that's worth your Absolutely. admission fee right there. Yeah. Right. So that's part of it for coaches. They just introduced last year, uh, free coaching education classes. So we talked earlier about, you know, having the best staff possible. That's, for, that's good for recruiting. Yeah. You know, so have, you know, having coaches, uh, not only take the USYS courses, but sure. now rush specific courses that integrates the rush way to do things, the formations, the dead ball plays, the everything that rush has out there. There's player and coaches handbooks that we can send a PDF. Yep. That um, that again that those types of resources um, that they provide. There's like, it's. It, it, it's amazing, and we've only scratched the surface of it, right? We're trying to implement more and more and more um, to give that value to our members. And, um, you know, I think we're doing a good job, but our, our commitment is to continue to grow. Yeah, the reason I asked that question is because I think there, as I grew up throughout the, the area and trying to figure out where to put your kids and give them the best opportunity, there's so many different questions that come up. And there's so many different outcomes that could could happen. And to have a club like Rush, who's nationally recognized, internationally recognized, on both sides of the river, that are a good option for kids who really want to learn the game, who are going to have a good staff experience, good training experience, it's a great program. And I just wanted to call that out while you guys were here, give you a chance to even expound on, on what that means. So from a goals perspective... Obviously, this is a soccer podcast, so we have to talk about gold, Good pun. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like the pun. <laughs> yeah, my kids are gonna love that one. <clears throat> um, <laughs> they won't make it this far into it. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. <laughs> we bored them to <laughs> back so, to their video games. <clears throat> yeah, you, you, we talked to City Academy obviously because we have kids there, and so we understand what their their path is, right? They we know what is expected of of the kids that are going into that program. We've been through the Gallagher system. We've ancillary, you know, relationships on, on Fuse, Rush, et cetera. So where beyond the resources and the things we just talked about, the benefits of joining Rush, what is that unique uh, kind of, not benefit, but what's the goal that Rush has that's a little different than maybe a Fuse or a Gallagher? Well, I don't think it's different. Or how, or how about culture? Sure. Yeah. So, so Rush has, you know, eleven core values that, um, you know, again we're we're we live by them, but I, I don't think we do a good enough job yet of really implementing them throughout the club. Um, I I think, well, I hope, right? I hope all of us directors, owners of clubs around the area are are in it for the right reason. And yep. to me, the right reason is to give the kids an amazing experience with an amazing game, right? And let the kids have every opportunity, give them every opportunity to develop to whatever level that is, right? So yep. for a city, right, that's a different level than what I deal with, right? Do I have kids that could maybe eventually be there? Maybe, a couple, right? But for us, it's more about, okay, if they're at level C, can yeah. we get them to level B? If they're at level B, can we get them to level A? If they're at level F, can we give them a great experience to where they walk away and they constantly want to come back to train and have fun and laugh and 
we want we want you know we want to educate the parents about <laughs> the, everything that, that, not okay not to do. There you go. You open the door. So okay. here's my question. <laughs> When you have a player that, let's say they are a great kid, but they're a solid C minus, yep. and the parents are like, oh, he's definitely a B plus, and you're not doing enough to get him on the A minus team, talk about your philosophy when it comes to parents. Because I think we would all agree, having clearly grown up in the game, played the game your whole life, uh, we, you know, we have kids that are in it, we've coached, all of that. You know, in my experience, and I joke about it on the show, you know, the game would be absolutely amazing in the States if parents weren't involved, <laughs> you know. Um, how, how do you handle parents? Like, do you, do you have a philosophy, you know, outside of the, the, the club culture or the 11, you know, pillars of the club or whatever you guys called it, what's your strategy with parents that are both realistic, unrealistic, and just batshit crazy? If I had a really good answer to that, <laughs> my club would probably have a hundred teams, right? Because right. Um, I think that's the that's that's the million dollar question. Um, me personally, you know, I've I've coached high school girls for probably the last 10, 12 years since my daughter graduated out, and you know, she's going to be twenty nine month twenty nine next month, so she's been out for a while, right? But I've stayed in those age groups. I don't know if it's because I own the club. But I really haven't had too much issue with parents. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, and I say this to our coaches all the time, that 95% of problems within clubs comes down to a lack of communication yep. between the club and the coaches, the coaches and the managers, the coaches and the players, coaches and the parents, right? And so whether it's a lack of communication, poor communication, not setting expectations. So I think right. the, the more that coaches and clubs can set those early, you're still going to have the batshit crazy people who are, who are yeah, not going to believe anything that you say, right? <laughs> right? And so my question to them when that does happen to me is, do you trust that I know what I'm doing, first of all? Right. If, if the answer is no, then this probably isn't the right fit for you, right? And And you know, maybe you should move on. If you trust that I know what I'm doing, then let's have a conversation about what I'm seeing versus what you're seeing. And let's try to come to some middle yeah. ground. And I think, I think <clears throat> to build on that parent education is, is everything. And I think it's not parent education or the game of like, you know, this is what this is what a goal is, and this is what offsides is, and this is what a throw when, is. When I say yeah. the Although that's six, important. <laughs> yes. when I say the six or the ten or the nine, even though your kid wears 11, 11. Yeah. 17, or 23, yeah. you, know, you don't have to break that down. But, but I, I think what, what Joe's saying is that communication level is the coach needs to provide that knowledge to the parents um, that this is what this is what we're planning on doing. This is my thought. This is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And... You know, like Joe said, you're still going to have the parents that that you know measure everything on results. Um, but you know, if anybody wanted to have coaches that all we did is go out there and chase wins, we're, then we're not doing our job as trying to develop good soccer players. 
Um, I can go out and find, you know, a bunch of big, strong kids and just tell them to kick the ball over the field and just run kids over and just, you know, plow the ball in the back of the net. I think we've played teams right? like that before. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're usually <laughs> from Michigan. <laughs> they're still they're out there. Oh, we it's know. because it gets so cold up there. I mean, they're just like, let's get this shit over with. <laughs> and ram through it. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, again, we're, we're, we're trying to do what's right for the kids. You're going to have the parents that don't see eye to eye with you. But if you tell the parents up front, look, this is this is what we're doing. Yeah. From from the time of the start of the season, from the midpoint of the season to the end of the season, we want to be able to see our players progress in these areas and be able to do things this particular way. And if we see that, yeah, we're going to have hiccups along the road. If we're teaching a team how to play out of the back and they're not used to playing out of the back and a, and a wing back takes the ball from a keeper and he you know, passes it to the team or something like that, and that kid goes in our breakaway and scores, and you lose the game 1-0, oh, my God, if that kid, you know, that kid shouldn't be playing back there, blah, blah. Well, you know, those things are going to happen. You know, failure is the best teacher, right? So we want those kids to be able to take those risks and not feel like they're going to get reamed when they get in the yeah. car from mom and dad, and they want to be able to feel comfortable in front of their coaches that they're not going to get reamed or get benched for, you know, making that mistake or trying to take that risk, you know. And I know it's, it's a very fine line. Some people know it. Some people don't. Yeah, but. well, here's the funny thing. Like, <clears throat> I see it um, with our kids' team over the past two years in particular, where they've, you know, because they finally they're hitting puberty. They're playing 11 11. You're, you're now starting to see much more developed soccer as opposed to <clears throat> skilled, you know, 99ers or 6v6ers, where you're like, oh, that's, that's cute. Um, but <laughs> in talking to my son, and, and, you, and I think, Zach, you probably talked to Grady about this, too. It, you know, compare and contrasting parents' expectations and what they expect from a club versus when you put 18 kids, 20 kids that are on a roster, whatever it is, if you ask them on any team, rank the team. Who's the best? Who's the worst? You're going to get 90%, you know, matching vote totals from the players themselves. The kids, the kids know. Whereas parents you're going to see a significantly different list of players on there. So I think like to your point, the communication process with parents um, and I do blame kind of the, the rise and the success of soccer in the overall communities with FIFA and TV and EPL where, I mean, go to any school, go to any high school, any junior high, whatever, and you walk around, you're not going to see a bunch of Cardinal jerseys. You're going to see United City, Chelsea, right? I mean, the game is taking over and, and the adults in the room, quote, in the room, <laughs> they're, not, they're, they're not educated on the game yet. So there's a learning process that's occurring that, you know, hey, look, I don't envy you guys. As a soccer parent, you know, I've learned to just, just go away, JB. Just go stand in the corner by yourself. Um, so good luck with that. Um, here's what I do. I've got a running theme question that I've asked multiple times to coaches uh, in particular. I'm going to ask this question, then we're going to roll out for a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk some fun stuff. But it all started back in um, episode four with Ken Godet. I think you listened to it. Um, we asked the simple question, when you see all these kids, how do you know? What is it? How do you define it when you see it? And you, Joe, in particular, you've been around the game your whole life, and, and you were one of those kids that had it. And now in the position that you are and seeing literally thousands of kids, you know, both of you have been around coaching for a long time now. What is that? Can you, can you put a little tag on that? Um, I mean, I've been coaching soccer for 
I don't know, 26, 27 years. And <clears throat> I've seen kids that have had it um, from near and afar. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take something that this was kind of a Dale Shilly thing when, when I worked with Dale at, at Metro United. And a kid would come out and he would say, that kid, just before the kid would even touch a ball or do anything, Dale could look at a kid and see that kid has soccer in him. Yeah. And you could just you could just see something. You could see whether it was the look or the how he was dressed or the stance or the mullet. Just what he was doing, yeah, the faux <laughs> hawk and everything, whatever. And and you know, ninety nine you know, ninety five percent of the time, you know, this kid would be, be something special. You could tell he just um had something more than the others. Um you just see natural things in them, um, that you don't can't necessarily teach. Um, even at young ages, like a, how a kid just positions himself uh, defensively, or how he, you know, how he can step in on a on an attacking player and put his body between the, the the attacker and the ball. You know, little kids don't just don't just do that all the time on their own. And you can just see that, and you're like, man, how'd that kid at nine, ten, eleven years old know already how to step in like that and win the ball, or how do you know, you know, or um, or you see the little scrums and stuff, and you'd see the kid kind of hanging out on the outside waiting, yeah. you know, and he's Pick like, I'm not off. getting in that mix. I'm going to wait for the ball to pop out. I'm going to put myself in a good attacking position or place to win the ball. So, um, you know, long story, but, I mean, yeah, sometimes you just you just have a hunch and you see something, and then you just start seeing natural things coming out that are very difficult to teach a, a an athlete uh, to do uh, the desire and the, and the heart and the drive and all those things, but just those natural techniques. Um, that that a kid just gets naturally. What gets you all hot and bothered when you see a kid out there? I agree with most of what Rick said. I think for me, when you know, if a new kid comes out to tryouts, right, I feel like I can look at the way his body moves, yeah. right, and then. Like before you're even getting into small-sided games or really doing much of anything, if he's just out knocking the ball around, the way a, a, the way a player moves in and around the ball, I think, is a is a is a sign, right? Yeah. That that okay, that that piqued my interest, right? And then once they get into not the technical work, but once they even gonna get into small-sided things, how they see the field. And, and the vision that they have, what types of passes that they're making, yeah. um, I think is, is huge. And, and you know, it, it all comes down to decision-making, right? When I grew up and when I first started coaching and stuff, it was, to me, it was all about getting touches on the ball. You know, we did Corver work for hours and hours yeah. and hours. It was great, right? You know, like yeah. I was known as being able to keep the ball in my foot no matter what. But now... If I've evolved where, like, when I'm trying to train, I want, I want, yeah, I want. They, kids need a thousand touches on the ball, but can we make it to where they're doing a thousand decisions while they're doing those touches too? Because the more decisions they make, yeah. Now, now like they're, now like they're, now they're going to become better soccer players because you guys know that. I mean, it's 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 the ability to make that quick decision that's going to make the technique of the first touch is important, but you got to. The decision has to be made first where I'm going with that. First yeah, step. it's it's <clears throat> soccer IQ. Yeah, you know, and um, we've we've joked about it a couple times, you know, because we've seen we've seen some amazing U15 teams in the last year, and 
uh, you know, to this day, the one that stands out, that the Chicago Fire team at this age group, I mean, it, it, it's, it's like a video game. <laughs> These kids know exactly what they're going to do. They don't hold the ball more than two, three touches. And within 20 seconds' time, it'll hit every quadrant of the field, and the opposing team's just running in circles. You know, and yes, they've been trained. Yes, they have physical attributes. Yes, they have all of that time on the field. But they found kids that were smart, you know, and, and, and that's one of those things, like, uh, to your point, like, it, it's that body language, you know. So, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. Um, two of us are going to get a refill. The other two are in dry January. My beer sponsor was like, thanks for bringing these dry January guests in. <laughs> but I brought, I brought visitors. Yeah, that's true. We, we had to call. We, you had yeah, to because you guys are us. drinking water. We had Some to call subs. two people and like, you need to come drink beer, hit our quota. <laughs> so. The tamales are delicious, though. <laughs> Highly recommend the tamales. So here's what we're going to roll out of here. We'll be right back in a second. Uh, don't go away. Don't turn it off. Follow us on Spotify. Thank you. Hey everyone, JB here with the Soccer Dad Pod. This break is intended to be both informative and an opportunity. Little did you know that we are accepting sponsors, really. And as a sponsor of the show, you would get to talk to a demographic primarily consisting of parents, some soccer fans, and most definitely drinkers. Consider this an opportunity to let our listeners and social media followers know what it is you do and why you deserve some of their money. If interested in this incredible opportunity, just email us at soccerdadpod at gaslightstl.com. Now, back to the mindless banter. All right. We have fresh beer. We do. And more GNR. Yeah, I've been going through the menu here. Beers? Yeah. And I'm on the uh, Party Saurus. Party Okay. <laughs> it's an IPA. It's delicious. And before that, I had the Mars Rover, which is a beer to guard. Heavy, 8.4% ABV. So that's a lot. It is. But it was really good. Really? Yeah. All right. I like to know what I'm promoting, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, look, if they had Miller Lite, I would drink it. No, sorry, I know. Evan, I know. But I know. I'm, I'm a redneck from the east side. Um, but I love the Keller beer here. Um, we're back with Rick and Joe from Gateway Rush, Collinsville, Cahawk alum. <laughs> um, down here, well spent. Um, you'll notice in the background, very low. Uh, it's trivia night. So on Thursday nights, if you want to come test your wits, feel free. Drink the beers. Bring your dog. Yeah. Bring your dog. Interrupt us. It's all good. I feel like you get a free bonus ticket if you bring a dog or maybe a beer. We had to ask about that. I don't know. Everybody playing trivia has a dog. There's a lot of dogs here. You know, well, Kim, you know what Kim would do? She would probably, like, put a leash on her, our cat. And, like, <laughs> I'm going to bring my cat. You know, see how that goes. Just to be disruptive. Absolutely. Can you imagine this place with one cat? <laughs> ten dogs. Yeah, ten dogs, one cat. That would that would be great. But, um, so if if you made it this far, thank you. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, etc., all that stuff. Uh, here in the second half 
of our episode. Uh, I'd like to have a little bit more fun and just kind of throw it off the rails a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it's still soccer out of the gate here. Um, but I want to I expand our focus from the club, um, you know, and kind of that it thing. Let's talk about St. Louis soccer in general. Because obviously, Joe, we were talking about it on the break. You know, the, the, the potential, the opportunities of kids today, kids in our backyard here through these uh, academies, MLS, next teams, et cetera. Um, you know, that managing those expectations from both player standpoint and parent coach standpoint. Uh, you made a point. You're like, you know, realistically, over the past so many years, we've really had, I think, the number was roughly 30. 30 true full-time pro players, you know, which is probably really close to the number. And it's really a crazy number when you think about it, given how much we all love and think that St. Louis is the Mecca. Because it is. It's not Kansas City, by the way. It is St. Louis. (laughs) It's definitely not Kansas City. Yeah. Um, But St. Louis soccer has evolved. It continues to evolve. We continue to, to kind of bubble to the top you know of the of the pile you know just take a couple seconds and talk about your own homer feelings towards st louis st louis soccer the players you played with and where we're at today with the team with the new stadium all that you know if you're speaking to a national audience and you got to sell st louis how are you going to sell it that's a tough one um yeah i mean things have changed there's so much so much more opportunity for players to play beyond high school and co- especially college, right? So, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to get involved with some of the old St. Louis Steamers when I was in college. My brother Rich was playing with some of them, and uh, you guys probably remember the Miter tournament. And yeah, absolutely. So it was a. That was the gold standard back in the day of, and it's still going on, but it's not quite the same as it was back then. But so I, I got a chance to play with uh, like Carl Rose and Jeff Cacciatore and some of the St. Louis greats when I was growing up that played for the original St. Louis Steamers, and um, that kind of catapulted me to get a chance to, to to turn pro out of college and play with the Ambush. And my rookie year, there we had twelve rookies, right, and. Uh, a couple of them are getting inducted to the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame. Yeah, here. I saw that. And a, a Kevin Grork and Michael Posha, and then, of course, Mark Moser. He, he wasn't a rookie. He had been playing for a couple of years, but he's going in. And Jeff Robin from that team is also going in. So uh, just great memories, great, you know, great experience. But uh, kind of getting back to your question, I mean, the you know, there's – back then, MLS was in its infancy – Right. right. There weren't near as many teams. There wasn't anything local. Um, like the, the UPSL, the, it, you know, the, the all the other divisions that are out there now, they, they, they just weren't around. Right. So uh, indoor was still a, a relevant uh, league. Not that it's not now, but with, with everything that's come about, I think it's, it's definitely to a lesser extent. Um, so it's, it's fun. You know, St. Louis is a, has a tremendous history. Um, some, some, I mean, you, you go back to 
you know, the 1950 World Cup and, and all those stories and everything. And, you know, SLU winning all the, the championships. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pat you on the back and even say in Illinois, Gene Baker and, and, <laughs> and, and, and Granite City winning hold all on, the. Hold on, hold on. Red, red light is. Uh, it's glitchy. Can you repeat that? Yeah, yeah. you're not gonna get me, you're not gonna get me to repeat that one. Hey, you, thank you for the shout out. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, there's there's tremendous history, and then you get into the the history of the clubs with you know um, what used to be Bush Soccer Club and, and yeah. Scott Gallagher and and Voyagers, and I, I remember going to all these tournaments. Well, and then go to the older age groups where you have clubs like Kudis. Yeah. You know, in the where it's all these open men's leagues that you know, or those are some of the Falcons. guys that I was playing on that indoor team with. Yeah. I remember playing in the minor tournament. I was eighteen or nineteen years old, freshman in college, playing with these guys who were late twenties, right? Who had mm-hmm. played professionally for years and were playing against these college kids. And they look down and they see everybody but me is old. And they're just laughing. You know, and and then they get rolled, and they got rolled. Like <laughs> yeah. it was, it was amazing. I mean, it, I still think back at, at those days, and and those were just some great weekends because, you know, we would we would go down a man, and we would still keep possession. Yeah. You know, and and the college kids would walk off the field shaking their head like, "What just happened to me?" You, you know, isn't it funny because you know I think about watching those old games, kind of being around some of those circles and knowing the players and and knowing who did what nationally and 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 what amazed me was kind of how these teams continued to compete post college in these open tournaments and into their 30s and 40s 50s yeah, the yeah. falcons yeah exactly um, and this goes back to you know when we were talking about it before the break it's soccer IQ yeah i mean it really is i mean there's something in the water here you know, I don't think any of us can find it. We'll all take credit for it, even though we're all probably wrong or partially wrong. But it, it does seem that there's something here in which, you know, the, the, the physical ability of players is always there. That That's a national trait. Uh, the fields, the training, the coaches, all that stuff is, it's the same everywhere for the most part, right? But soccer IQ within a region, for, for our region to have that much of it, that's weird. And someday somebody will say, well, I know why. I, I don't know why, but I've listened to enough of these episodes because I've been on half of them and I've listened to the other Oh, you ones. listen to the other one? I do. Sweet. Yeah, even when I'm not on. I'm not that narcissistic. But <laughs> I think what I'm starting to, to hear, and I want Rick and Joe to, to either shoot me down on this or, or back me up. Joe, you said it before we started recording the north-south thing in St. Louis. Mm. You talked about that, and Ken has talked about that, and, and uh, Petcher and a bunch of other of our guests have talked about that north-south rivalry. They're all from North County, too. Everybody but, you named, but here's North the thing. County guys. Here's what's different, I think, with us and some of the other cities. We have those rivalries built in that inspire kids to work harder and learn more about the game than if you're just playing club somewhere. And you're trying to work on yourself, and maybe you're thinking about college or the pro. I think because there's so many different people who have come from this area, who have even played in the indoor professional leagues or have played in Europe, they've created this culture that drives competition. 
and you can call it the high school question. You can call it whatever you want. But well, it's all I was related. just going to say, I was it's just going to say that yeah, about the high I mean, school. the high school thing. I mean, we're we're living proof of that. Correct. Yes. You know, you go you across still. The what are you guys, 75 years old, still talking about high school shit? <laughs> but that's the thing. I think what you're talking about is you still have those Norco guys and, and SoCo Absolutely. guys that still talk about it. And I mean, I was probably four or five years old when I realized that I wasn't supposed to like Granite City. <laughs> yes. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's true because that's Keep when I would start going mug. to the games. And, and, and I saw that rivalry playing out in front of me. And at the time, I didn't understand it necessarily. I started playing soccer right around that time. But as I got older and older, like as much as it was fun going to the steamer games, like there was times that I wanted to go go to the high school game sure. and watch the watch those kids and, and watch guys like Joe playing and and other guys that you know wow. I'm friends with, I'm friends with these guys now but I almost looked at them as celebrities when I was a kid of course and and so when I was playing as a kid my I really couldn't wait to be able to get on that field at some day and you know put our you know put the Collinsville jersey on and and represent my school my town and whatever and it was something that maybe i don't know i don't know why the high school thing and, and that is it is what it is around here in this in this town but i do think that that's what kind of feeds um yeah. the the competitiveness for kids to want to play the game and maybe it's not that much as much anymore now they're probably looking at bigger bigger dreams and bigger uh teams out there than they are their local high schools but that's what we had back then, and that's what we. Well, I think a big part of it too. To and Joe, Joe, tell me, tell me if you agree with this theory. I ha I have a theory as to why our rivalry was what it was. Uh, two reasons: it wasn't necessarily head to head between Granite and Council. I think it was two faceted. Number one is as we made those uh, paths to state, and we went to state. It wasn't like we were going to Carbondale to play, you know, Carbondale. We were going to Chicago. We were going to play Hoffman Estates, Palatine, you know, and they're pumping out. the. That's the Brian McBride years, right? right. They were pretty good, and they were big. You know, and everybody, you know, on the west side of the river, a lot of the, the, the high schools would kind of make fun of us. You know, well, you know, look at who you play, whatever. And it's like, well, look who we beat, you know, to, to get this trophy. You know, but and then on and then the rest of our seasons, you know, at Granite in particular, we always had Biani, CBC, DeSmet, and Slew were on our schedule, and then we had the tournament champions. So we had that rivalry too because we saw the dominance on the west side of the river, where every single year one of those teams is is ripping it off. So that when we did come head to head, we were so used to like being the uh, supposed underdog. We just hated you. We were like, we knew that, you know, that, that built-in rivalry, who, because whoever won that game, whoever won that series, and specifically that, that super sectional game, because that would be the game, it's kind of like it's foregone conclusion, there goes State, right? Yeah, yeah I um, think the rivalry piece is huge. I mean, you, you think of other it, cities in, in the world like London. Derbies. <laughs> London has five English Premier League teams right now, right? Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, oh, Crystal Palace, West Ham, and West Ham, Villa. Seven. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot in one city. One city. I I almost brought this up earlier. So when when we think about when we played and the clubs 
right? So the competition with the clubs, back then they were more community clubs. Right? Absolutely. Right. So it was Council United, it was Granite City Elks, it was RKO out of Belleville. On the, and then Bush was, right, correct me if I'm wrong, Bush was like south more. Yeah, they were more Fenton area. More by the ballpark, by yeah, the park. By the park, and, but then Scott Gallagher was more north. Correct. You know, so in Norco was north. And so you had those regional yeah. built in rivers. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean that's all changed for the yeah. most part. You still have the smaller clubs are still community level clubs, but the the bigger clubs, the more successful clubs are drawing players from multiple right uh, municipalities and well, stuff. So we we talked a little bit about this um you know the that with uh, Timmy Velton. Tim Velton is the head coach at Webster High. Okay. Uh, yeah. Timmy played uh, USL for seven or eight years, so he had one of those. He was a road dog. He yeah. had a pro career, but he was a road dog. Yeah. He comes back and he coaches at Webster High, and you know, and and Cashel was the previous head coach there, and in the span of ten years, they've won three state titles. Where prior to that, you know, shut out, and it does seem to coincide with kind of the rise of the super clubs, the rise of the academies, kind of the dissipation of some of those 1%, 2% players. Um, does it, does, and here's where I'm going with this. Does it bother you that rivalries are diminishing and player development is, is accelerating? Because that's kind of what I see happening. Now, there's clearly teams want to win, and there are teams you hate, and there are teams you can't wait to play and all that. That exists. But from a macro standpoint, you know, that, that hyper-focus on player development and squeezing out those one or two, how much of a role does that have in kind of diminishing the rivalry aspect? Again, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the whole idea of kids skipping high school to play in academies. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation I could go on for, for a long time. Are you for or against it? I, I think... Looking back, right, I would have been one of those players fortunate enough to be asked you, to play in. Yeah, you would not have played high school. Well, in today's world, in in yeah, I w- I would have been given that opportunity. <clears throat> whether I would have made that decision. Now, I played, you know, uh, four years at Collinsville, four years at SIU, thirteen years professionally, and I look back, and some of my fondest memories are still on the field as a Collinsville Kayhawk. So, looking back on that. Do you do you do you really miss out on development by playing high school for two and a half months? Right? Yeah. There's an argument to be had to that. What about the social aspect that you're missing out? Because I don't care if you're playing City Two, not City Two, but City Academy or MLS Next or whatever. You're going. It's your parents watching. Yes. Right? It, it's it's the group of parents that are watching. You go to a Council Granite City game down at the Gauntlet. Yeah. Right? I remember playing down yeah. there. The, the police force is there, the, and, you know. Like, <laughs> there's there's 1,500 people there probably, 1,000 yeah. people there easily, right? And so those are the games that stick out still in right. my mind. And so is it worth it? Again, we talked about how few players are, are ever going to make it past college. Correct. Right? So – is it worth it for them to miss college? 
or or even to or that miss high school i mean sorry yeah. or, or even make it to the d2 d, let alone d1 level forget about beyond that right you know just just go get your school kind of supplemented yeah you know the number of kids that have that opportunity i mean it, it's a good number but it's not the number that most parents think no no and it, it, parents parents and kids are too caught in my opinion uh, and this is one of the messages coaching in the high school girls for so many years. This is the message I give my parents all the time is forget about what division it is, because especially on the girls, like there's nothing behind college. Right. Yeah. For for very, very few people, there's right. nothing behind college. So you're you're going if you're in a play in school, all you're trying to do is get as much of it paid for as possible and have a good experience. Right. And so. Forget if it's NAIA, Division One, Division Three, Divi- right. you know, JUCO. <laughs> go, why don't go focus on an NIL contract? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. grow your Instagram account. Yeah, and go make Nowadays, some real money. Yeah, <laughs> that gymnast from uh, wherever it is. Yes. she's smart. Like, yeah, so smart to be doing that. Like, she's got her future ahead of her. There's a lot to be said about playing in front of your peers, your friends, playing with your kids, your neighbors and buddies that you grew up with. Um, you know, trying to reach that goal of whatever, you know, getting to state or whatever. And, um, you know, I think that's, that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, when you're playing on these, these regional based teams, you're playing with kids from other communities and stuff. Yeah. Your buddies with them. Um, but it's not the same as, you know, the kids that you started peewee soccer with or, you know, whatever yeah. that it has grassroots you know, kind of get back to those kids and get back to the roots and, Say hey, we're back together. Then let's let's see what we can do with this and all your fans and parents. And, but and but going back to the whole parent issue earlier, there there is the one issue that I see within our own circles is that projection for parents sure. that Absolutely. we know that are like trying. I mean, it, it's like a scene from a Matthew McConaughey movie where they're projecting to their kid like, you know, why are you not throwing more touchdowns? You know, look at my ring kind of thing. <laughs> Um, and, and that's that's a weird dichotomy, too, because it, that will end in time because a lot of that is dissipating. But, you know, I mean, I had a conversation with my boy who just turned 12 last night. Did you tell him? And I was in city. Yeah. And I happened and we live in O'Fallon, <laughs> Illinois. So, I mean, he as of today, he would go to O'Fallon High School and, um, you know, wear yellow and blue. Um, but I looked at a. A homework assignment he had to do and it was you know put things down that that um you know whatever drives you what are your hobbies what are your activities that you like the most put a something about your high school that you want to go to put something about the college you want to go to and all this stuff and i'm looking at it you know any any you know his goal or whatever is to, you know play professional soccer or whatever um but then i started looking at at the high school thing and he was put in collinsville high school oh all over this thing move in the future and then and then i looked at college and i therapy said, and, and then i looked at college and he, and he puts illinois state university which is where i went to play um after high school and so i'm like why are you putting collinsville when we live in o'fallon he's like well i want to go to collinsville high school i'm like why he goes well that's where you went well i heard about tp <laughs> yeah and then and then i said well why, okay so what about illinois state he goes well that's where you went and and I was like, well, number one, they don't have a men's soccer program anymore. But, um, but I'm like, you need to, you need to do what you want to do. Like, don't, like, you know, some parents do live 
vicariously through their children and oh yes they do and want their kids to be as successful and do more than maybe they did which i agree it's great if your kid you always want your kid to have a better life than you did right but um to see him doing that and he's literally telling me like i just want to do what you did and like it wasn't anything glorious or glamorous or anything i don't know why that he's just doing that and saying that's, that, but I'm just like, yeah, Mason, I was there. It was not that glorious. No, it so. wasn't. So. <laughs> that's really cool. That's the opposite experience that I've had. Well, uh, and that's probably what yeah. most people experience is like, I don't want to do what you did, but for whatever reason, yeah. Mason, my boy, wants to. Yeah, uh, we took we took our, our daughter's a senior in high school, and we took her to Missouri State, where my wife and I both went to school, and did a tour and walked the whole campus and. We were feeling good. It, it's changed a lot in the last 20 years, obviously. And so we got done with the tour, and we said, so what do you think? She goes, uh, no. <laughs> we said, wow, that was quick. She's like, yeah, I want to make my own memories, and I don't want to walk into places where I think you guys have made out. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 the whole high school thing is interesting because I talked about Wildwood Soccer Club. We started that team to replicate what Webster Groves had done with their feeder program. Of the 14 kids we had, eight of them started on the freshman team this year at Lafayette High School. Yeah. And that's where my son's a freshman, but he can't play because he's playing with City. And I constantly go back and forth on the yeah. just the emotional side of, of that. But the way I look at it is not every kid who wants to do college or even wants to potentially go pro has to skip their college or high school career. It's a very small group and it's not required by any means, but they are looking at the Caden Glovers and Ferguson's and all these kids as the idols that you guys looked up to when you were younger because they're playing in the stadium. They're getting called out on Instagram. They're getting called up to the U.S. Youth National Team. So there's just this shift in how they're idolizing and how what they're looking forward to, but they're still missing out. They're still missing out on that social part of it where it's not just their parents watching them. And so that's a, because I well, played, I, I went to Washington High School. Borger was our rival. Well, Collinsville and and, and Granite City is very similar. Spell that. Borgia. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Aren't there yeah. a lot of like silent letters in that thing? B O R G I A. No. Oh, there's not. Okay. No, I don't yes, know. I'm from Granite, man. We don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't. You don't, spell. Spell. You don't, know. We don't <laughs> have Catholics <laughs> over there. We don't have to. We have a lot of silent we letters in Granite City. We, we pour. We just pour. <laughs> You know, molten lava and <laughs> die too young. So where do your um, kids stand as far as their decision to play high school soccer or not? They don't. Uh, they're 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 so they've been in the system for so long that it's been they normal. It, it's they don't any, know any different. They don't know any different. Yeah. It's and been hard. I think it's I, to me, I think it's if if it's truly the kid's decision, and it's the right. It like they're making the decision with the right information. Mm-hmm. Then I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, like, you know, I'm encouraging my nephew. He's been training with them, and I know he wants to play high school. But maybe it's right for him. Maybe it's not. I wanted him to at least 
find out if that's an option, right? Well, well to your point, in to your story, you know, you you clearly not only were presented the opportunity, you capitalized on it, you worked hard at it, you stayed in it, you lived that life. And there's way more people like myself, like Rick, um, you know, most of our peers that I can definitively look back at my, quote, playing career. And I can tell you exactly when it went sideways and when I was done. And you can't ever get those opportunities back. And I think that what these MLS Next and these academy teams present to these kids is an opportunity. Right. And if you choose otherwise... You're not going to get a second chance. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it, it it's and, and there might be there might be tremendous results uh, stemming from the decision they do make, you know, opposite whether it be to play high school, etc. But let's let's not kid ourselves. If you have the opportunity and you're at that training facility or you're at any of the local academy teams and and you have, you know, ex World Cup players, ex Pro players that are your coaching, your staff. You know, and, and the opportunity to travel around and play par level competition at, in front of the biggest eyeballs. You know, I, I, I always kind of apply it to my own dumb decisions. I'm like, man, I get it. But in my world, and I think Zach would attest to this, I stay out of it. I, you know, when Beckett comes home and talks to me about these things, I'm like, answer the questions. No opinion. Like, these kids have to figure it out on their own because the amount of stress that they are put under. Um, yeah. it, it, it's it's not normal. It really it's is not, not normal. normal. And that's the that's the part I was going to say is that for a 14 year old to be under the same constant pressure, I, I can't even imagine being 14 and even thinking about those things, let alone experiencing it. But you know, I'll just give one quick story. And it was when we were in California a couple weeks ago, early December, when the MLS started. One of the teams that just kind of blew up and became kind of a standard bearer for the league was LA Galaxy. When Beckham came and all that stuff. So our boys got to play against LA Galaxy in their first game, or second game. Uh, and they beat the LA Galaxy Academy. That's a memory that our kids will have that most kids, regardless of whether they played high school or club, yeah. There's can just, say. There's there's just, just so some, much like brand identity yes. with these kids, you know, with the, in the clubs, within these leagues that, you know, the, the idea of a rivalry has, has like we discussed, it's dissipated to a degree. Because let me ask you a question. The Chicago Fire is our rivalry. I was going to say it's a different rivalry. It is. It's not local now yeah. For, yeah. for those teams, right? They're looking at the other MLS next. Well, and the other thing is the arrogance of these kids, uh, justified or otherwise, they're rivals now. Are, are are present when they go on Instagram and they look at the kids that got the call up to the national team. Yeah. Like their mindset is in a whole different world. And it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. You know, you're not hanging out with Beckham's son right now. And, you know, and that's where it's at. So what I was going to ask you is uh, Collinsville today, clear, last year they had another, they had a good year. Who's the rival? Yeah. So, um, you know, Granite City has fallen off a little bit. I think uh, Edwardsville has kind of, taken that um it's because of all our all our bit. people moved up there that's correct yeah know? so yeah so um yeah so i think <laughs> you laugh but you know it's true <laughs> but but what i but what's funny is is that um you know 
we would build our schedule the same way you guys did. We weren't invited to Tournament of Champions, obviously, but um, we also played, you know, Viani and CBC and SLU and, and DeSmet and those guys to try to prepare yourselves for to be able to play in Chicago in, in November. Um, and I think that where that is now is that when I, when I talked to the Collinsville coaches last year, they said the best team they played, and they played CBC, and they played – you know these other uh, MCC schools as they said Webster Groves was the best team they played and they just said you know so you're seeing that a little bit and whether that's because kids back then felt like the only way to be seen was to be at a top level uh, high school program and that's where like college coaches would actually scout you sometimes or you'd have to go to like ID camps or camps at the colleges you know nowadays you don't there's not scouts coming to high school games anymore. So, I mean, they're all coming to all these, yeah. these events with these leagues and with these showcases and things. So, um, so from that aspect, I think that's why you're seeing the, some of the public schools, at least in the St. Louis area, maybe starting to elevate a little bit as well. Obviously, the overall talent level and the game's growing, and I think it's getting more widespread. Um, but whenever I think about that, and, and with what you just said is, is the rivalry still there? To a certain point, yes. Um, you know, I remember when the first D eight when the D A first came out in 07 or whatever it was, some of those kids that chose D A, you know, they're there at the games, they're standing they're sitting in the stands with the other kids yeah. and you know they're in the bottom of the back of their mind, they're like, Man, that looks like fun out there. I yeah. miss oh, yeah. I wish I could be out there. Oh, yeah. And then you started seeing a couple of kids that took the jump or said, I'm gonna I'm just gonna play NPL or I'm gonna play whatever other league that allows me to play, you know, high school soccer and ECNL allows it now and things. So you know, they've kind of changed on that where I think MLS Next is really like that's the only one that's a full, you know, 10-year or 10-month, 12-month, um, you know, league or whatever it, it is. It feels like 17 it months. Feels- <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> but what you guys right. were saying about looking up to kids, like the way City's system is set up, the fact that they have those three training fields and then they've got the stadium at the end, you know, they kind of built that. That, oh yeah, that that Hell path where yes. the where the yeah. fir- the farthest away it field is, is where the academy teams train. You know, when you're down on the far field, yeah. you look over your shoulder. There's the there they are, and they can see it, and it it's it's the pathway, literally. It's yeah. a pathway yeah. that you take from field to field into that tunnel to get to that stadium across I, the street. I blame the German influence. <laughs> they're so efficient in their design. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but they're sharing they're sharing the facility. They're sharing I, the I, building, and I, I mean, I they're walking the in there. Facility. It's freaking phenomenal so you're, so your kids walking around and he's seeing they're seeing first team players walking around yep. well we've we, we mentioned it before it's 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 the little things it's the, you know the the laundry rings it's the shoe room and you know and these kids are 14 yeah you know and and i do think that you know talking earlier about soccer iq when you see it on the field what i'm seeing is the kids that are at, you know in, in in that level it's kind of the maturity test too like yep. you got to be able to, to deal with that oh it, it will weed people out quickly yeah like it, yeah you, you know better be, than anybody you might be a phenomenal player but that's only part of it right yeah. and so you you have to have the maturity level to deal with the stress to deal yep. with the pressure yep. to 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 learn the, the the little little tweaks here and there in your game that you got to make to to be the difference between you and the other 10 people who are just as skilled just as fast as you. Yeah. So let's... Oh, let, go ahead. Go ahead. I just uh, had one more question. Oh, I thought you were answering the trivia question behind you. <laughs> no, I'm trying really hard not to listen to it because I'm a sucker for trivia. And I, <laughs> You're I, like I, a double get <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah, I, like I, I, will, I will lose all focus really quickly. <laughs> My only last question, and it's related to this topic, which is 
since you guys are on, on the Illinois side, do you work with some of the high schools as far as a development track for a specific style of play or anything like that? Ooh, that's a good one. And the reason I ask is JB and I talk about this all the time. It's a broader because conversation. Because we have plenty of time to talk, talk about this. Way shit. too much about this shit. But there's no natural identity, national identity in the U.S. for a style of play. If over in Illinois, if there's a certain couple, three or four high schools that your girls and boys play for, do you work with them to develop any sort with of, the coaches? Yeah, or is it just like they're doing their thing? We're going to do ours. And well, yeah. So let me let me glamp on to his question because, I mean, look no further than our own childhood, mm-hmm. right? Because those 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 uh, community clubs and whoever our coaches were, like Keith Gailey was our coach at Elks. Keith and Baker were pretty good friends, you know, and we played a style that we knew we were going to play, and it stayed that way. So the, qu- the question, my question, adding on, because Zach put it more eloquently, are you – does the rush style? Are you working with high schools to create teams like that? I I, I would say no for the most part. I, I think there's people from all the clubs in Illinois who are also involved with high schools. Sure. Right. And so I can't speak to them. Right. I, sure. I think we have a natural, or we have had some natural funnels from certain schools because we've had connections there or whatever. Um, but I, I mean, I have a good relationship with pretty much all the coaches, but I wouldn't say like we're piggybacking off of either one. Like they're not piggybacking off us. We're not piggybacking off of them. Um, I mean, rush soccer definitely has a style of play that they want, you know, a formation and a style of play, um, that they, they, they want teams to utilize, but, um, but I don't think that, I wouldn't say there's any collaboration between okay. clubs and, and I think it's too hard these days because you have so many kids in your club that are go, go to different schools. schools. Yeah. So yeah. back when we're talking about when we played, you know, um, you know, Collinsville soccer came from, you know, German descent of Willie Syme and Norm Syme and, you know, came in and they and, and Andy Waite and those guys, they started soccer in Collinsville. Granite City had Ruben Mendoza starting soccer, right? And, um, so you had those influences in the game early on, um, and then they were starting it and teaching players and teaching other coaches how to teach their style. Um, you know, I think most of that has probably gone away um, over time, but I would imagine that at some point in time, the Granite City Elks were playing a style of soccer that Ruben, you know, probably developed at some point or came in and were teaching. You know, once once Gene, once Baker got in there, I'm sure that there was a little bit changed to, to more of what he wanted. Um you know, but you know, we were we were part of that one of the first teams that became a regionalized club with with Norm Syme, and he put together and he's like went around just started picking hand picking kids off all the different areas. You know, and you mm-hmm. and I became teammates from on you know Saint Jacob. Yeah, we were I had we were from up. Saint Jacob. That like, was our, I have no idea where Saint yeah. Jacob's. I live in Saint Jacob, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we were the Edwardsville Sidekicks or whatever Bank of Edwardsville, whatever it was, because yeah, we were sponsor and. Um, yeah, it was E A S C. Edwardsville Area Soccer Club. Yeah, they let us train at SIU and headquartered out of Saint Jacob, Saint Illinois. Jacob. And yeah, that was yeah. somebody's house, yeah. probably. Yeah, it's probably Norm's, Norm's house. house. Yeah. yeah, but I mean that was like the first team, and then shortly thereafter is when we started seeing the the neighborhood or you know town clubs kind of going away, and you started seeing more of these 
um, you know, kind of regional teams coming together. And then that's when Tommy Howe and Herb Forrester started Metro FC. And then eventually Dale and Dave Fernandez, you know, taking that and running with it. And then here we are today where, you know, there's almost no community clubs. And if they are, they're extremely, extremely small. Well, I appreciate you answering that question. You know, it wasn't intended to be um, pushing for that, just more of a curiosity. uh, Well, but in fairness to the question, I mean, if the goal is to win games, then that's it's kind of foolish to not consider that type of a strategy in the long run so that you have kind of a style that's universal so the kids are a little bit interchangeable but realistically well and that's part of it too yeah the 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 strategy the goal behind high school soccer is to win where in club soccer we're trying to say player development it's player development right so yeah but if you only have four kids off of that high school team that's on your team yep yep how do you? Yeah, you can't. You, like you work with this coach, and they may want to play a four-four-two with a diamond in the middle, and and the other there's four from this other school, and this coach wants to play it. So, it's I think there's just too much intermingling of players between different high schools for the most part. Now, every once in a while, you'll get you know you might have eight or nine from one school, right? And you know maybe maybe you can do a little bit more with a group like that, but for the most part, it's. At least in our club, I can only speak to our club. Our club is, you know, three here, two here, one there. Sure. You know, so it's, uh, which I like. Like, it's, I think it's good for players to, um, to, to get out an opportunity to, to, to play and learn from other players. Right. Agreed. So, um, I have two more questions. This question is, um, <clears throat> generationally speaking, because obviously, as a kid growing up, uh, you know, in the 80s playing and then your your college, then pro career, uh, and then moving into coaching and everything up till today, you've you've seen decades, you know, generational changes. Thanks a lot. Hey, don't worry about it. Look, I, I'm kind of right there. At least you didn't there. say half century. No, no, I thought that would be rude, but you said it first. Um, is, is, there, is there an era or a team or a player um, that just stands out over all of it? Because you've seen a lot. But I'm curious if there's like, you know, jump forward 20 years and somebody says, hey, you know, who who was the one or what was the one team, you know, in in your life? What would that be at this point? That's a tough one. That's a a tough (laughs) one. I, I, I get... I'll have uh, old teammates ask me if I've talked to other teammates, and I can't even remember. That's I mean, that's how many <laughs> different different people I've uh, I've played with over the years. I, you know, uh, I grew up playing with most of the people that we played in high school with, right? And right. so um, we had a tremendous group of of players. Uh, I had a weird birthday, but you probably remember back then it was. It was like every other year. Split year. It's split years. And so my birthday was such that one year I would play with the older kids that I won the state championship with in 86. So they were juniors and seniors. I was used to playing with them already. Right. The other year I'd play with my classmates in the year year below. But um, college, I mean, there was, you know, there was, there was several outstanding players there. But really, I mean, I think Daryl Duran – I mean, he he could do anything on 
anything he wanted in, in indoor. He played every position. Um, he was one of the strongest guys I've ever played against or with. Um, great defender, great attacker, could run forever. Um, I mean, he had a marquee name too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah, it was like it was perfect. Yeah. Like you put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, here locally, Daryl was, you know, he was he was kind of the gold star. I mean, when you talk about a pure finisher, Mark Moser, I mean, he's scored a ton of goals. Um, you know, the guys I played against, if you, you Terry Mickler, everybody knows Terry Mickler here. Sure. You talk about high school rivalries. We played CBC my senior year in high school in the football bowl in Collinsville, which was the disaster. Oh, I played there. Yeah. <laughs> disaster. To, to this day, if you ask Terry about that game, he'll say it was one of the best high school games he's ever been a part of, and he's been coaching for 40 years. Yeah. They had, I think, five All-Americans. Um, we lost two to one. They came. We scored first. They came back. Uh, amazing game. Amazing game. But um, probably the, the, the player I enjoyed playing with the most there's a guy named Todd Dasowski. Him and his twin brother um, played with me in Milwaukee. Uh, Todd was a target. I was an indoor. It's called a second forward or an off forward. I was a shooter. You know, I was a yeah. goal scorer. And, yeah, and uh, according to Jeff Holsey, he says you shoot with the wrong foot. Well, I, I then I stand <laughs> on the wrong foot too. So just to be just to, <laughs> happy belated birthday too to Jeff. Yeah, I think there he just you, had a, there I you go. Just had a birthday yesterday, but um, Todd Todd was. Uh, he was a guy that you could play the ball into his feet. He could have two guys wrapped around him, and he would lay a perfect ball to my left foot for me to strike. And uh, there was nobody else I played with that could get me the ball like he could. Kind of like Hall and Oates. It, it really – it's funny you say that because that was that Same era. Same Yeah, it was yeah. – I mean, it was a little before us, but that was – you know, I was kind of the sniper, and he could find me, you know, and, and get my shot off. And, it, I mean – I look back at some of the – I wish the when I played with the ambush, I wish we had the technology to have a lot of the highlights and yeah, stuff. Yeah, cool. You know, um, when I was in Milwaukee, I got married um, the first year I was – after we won. So I won in 95 with the ambush, and then I went to Milwaukee in 2000, um, 2000 2001, um, and we, we won that first year in Milwaukee. And uh, my wife, we got married that June, so we won like May second. We got married in June, and my wife did a highlight video. You know, had Milwaukee do it, so it's mostly high, like Milwaukee ones. But it's so cool to see though, like Todd and, and that group of guys. Like it yeah. was, it was, it was just an amazing experience. So, so my last question then, because you know I got to go there. Who was the best Granite City player you ever played against? Mm. Oh, yeah. And for all of you listening, feel free to turn it off. I don't give they, a shit. Already, I'm going to keep did. recording, and did. I'm getting an answer. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's tough because there was, there was, the Edomitis brothers were there. Todd. Todd and Troy. Yeah. Um, I think it was Todd and Troy. Was yep. Tritt there? Trichy was a little older. A little older? Yeah. yeah. He, he I played, played with him. North. He was on the 95 ambush team. Okay. So I knew um, he was a little bit older, he, but yeah, I didn't know if he played against Well, that. and he went to North, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was different. Yeah. Well, uh, what about... Uh, John Van Busker. Yeah, I was going to say Van Busker. So he's a year younger than me. Um, he, you know, he was he was a fantastic player. Went over, played a little bit in Germany. Um, 
pro- probably between those three is probably my era at yeah. least. Uh, I know there was a lot of great players prior. Yeah, I mean, Rick knows who his was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, for Speechless. me, yeah, for me, I mean, you know, Jeff Stevens is certainly um, on that list. Um, and, um, you know, I think uh, Jason Maxfield was was always a was always a player that I grew up playing against that that was um, was really good. Yeah, he was a motor. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I would I would if I had to pick one from the era that I played in. I mean, I think you know Jeff's certainly there from you know just a, a different position, but you know Timmy Henson as a goalkeeper was you know was outstanding as well. Um, and then, of course, J.B. Anderson. You know. There we go. Okay. Oh, See you next week. Uh, <laughs> hold, hold on. I didn't, you're from Granite City? No. I didn't no, know I'm that. from the Granite City. Oh, you got to put the, the oh, in front yeah. of that, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I do have to ask Joe, though. Did you ever play against with Precky? Uh, I did not play with Precky. I played against Tattoo. Um played against uh, Eric Rasmussen with the Wichita Wings. He was fantastic. Um, played, uh, who was the guy from Baltimore? Uh, wasn't Broncos, was it Broncos Sagoda? Yeah. He may have played, I can't remember if he was the one or if there was another another guy, but yeah, I mean, the, the indoor league is was, I mean, back in the day, oh, yeah. Yeah. before me, my, my years were good, um, Five ten years prior to me being well, in that league. Well, we had uh, we had Petch on yeah. Uh, yeah. just before the break, and you know, hearing those stories from those first two, three, four years, years of those guys. Jeez. I mean, that's just straight chaos. Oh, I mean, that's like TVMA miniseries kind of shit. So I was I was on an <laughs> airplane. Uh, oh, here a, we go. Wow, I was on an airplane. Why did it take this long? <laughs> Damn, I'm gonna have to Howard. edit this up. Yeah, but this. Early. It's not as good as what you're thinking it is, but oh, okay. no, just talking about how popular that sport was back in the day. So there was an article in, I think it was Sports Illustrated, um, that in 81, I think it said the St. Louis Steamers was the second hardest ticket, sports ticket, yeah, to get behind. Any guesses? In 81, I would say the Rangers. Lakers. Or Lakers, yeah. Edmonton Oilers. Oh, Gretzky, oh, Gretzky years. Wow. Yeah. Makes sense. I was close yeah. to hockey. That's crazy. I mean,